Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Well, this, uh, this is going to be a very special uh, weekend. You've already heard a little bit about missions from Pastor James uh, and what goes on here in the youth department in terms of missions. And many of you, I'm sure, are acquainted with Arlene Tatum. Arlene has been a missionary uh, to all sorts of countries, Nicaragua, Serbia, and in the last several years to Rwanda. And um, she's talked about our mission trips to Rwanda. We had the privilege of traveling with her last year and uh, visited many different prison facilities and are planning to go back as a team from this church in a little over a month. Normally, when she gets up here to talk, we have slides, we have all kinds of a report about the work in Rwanda, and she'll talk a little bit about that. But this time, I've asked Arlene if she would simply share her testimony. I want you to get to know her and understand the deep work that God has done in her life, because her life is her message. And after she shares that, I'll bring the word. So Arlene, God bless you as you share it tonight. Thank you. Good evening. Um, Tonight you'll understand why God took me into the prisons of Rwanda. Yes, it was to tell them about God's free gift of grace, but I now know that Jesus also wanted to heal my wounded heart. Due to some unusual circumstances in my childhood, there were two times specifically that the enemy told me the lie that I had been given away because I was not worth loving, that I had no value, and that no one would ever love me. My parents were not Christians, and so I never heard about God's great love for me. I grew up an angry child, making very poor choices for myself. I became a liar and a thief. When I was 15, I met and began dating a man who came to our area for a rodeo, and within a few months, we went to another state and got married. About three months after I married him, I found out from the police who came to arrest him who he really was. He told me that if I tried to leave him, that he would kill me. And after our second child was born, he said that if I left, he would hunt me down and kill me and the children. I suffered every kind of abuse, and at one point, it was so great that I considered suicide. But one Friday night, out of sheer desperation, I asked God, God, if you are even there, please do something to help me by Tuesday There was a pastor sitting at my house telling me how much Jesus loved me. And that day, Jesus became my Savior. I had no idea that everything I'd been through and everything I would go through was God's way of preparing me for a ministry designed by his own hand. After 30 years of marriage, God specifically directed me to go to the bedside of my dying husband and tell him that I forgave him. But it took two years for what I spoke out of obedience with my mouth to make it from my mouth to my heart. And during that time, he taught me about true forgiveness, 
what it really is and what it isn't. I had been through so much pain and ugliness in my life that in 2001, I did tell Pastor Ron that I wanted my life to count for something positive for the kingdom of God. Then from 2003 until 2005, God enabled me to make three trips to Nicaragua, one to Serbia, and my very first one to Rwanda. During each one of those trips, God was building my trust in him as he kept asking me to do ministry things that I knew I was not trained to do. And although I gave God every excuse like Moses and Jeremiah, I saw the Holy Spirit equipping me and giving me courage over my fear. As I was flying home from my second trip to Rwanda, the conversation I had with the Lord in a plane was a defining moment in my life. I asked him, why would you ask someone like me to do what you've already asked me to do in the villages and what it appears you're asking me to do in going into the prisons? And then I said to the Lord, the lie I had believed from the enemy my whole life. Why would you ask someone like me, Lord? Because I've never been good enough. His answer to me was, it's not about you being good enough. I'm good enough. It's about you being obedient to what I ask you to do. And then he told me exactly what he wanted me to use out of my past so that I could connect with the prisoners and have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Now, I had kept that secret buried for decades, and I did not want to ever be that transparent and vulnerable with the prisoners or anyone else. But then Jesus said something to me. He said, Arlene, I died on the cross for you. Will you let me use this? God had previously been speaking to me with Psalms 28.7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Could I really trust God with the deepest hurt I had put in my own wounded heart? His word told me I could. And he'd already been showing me and letting me see how much I could trust him as I watched him work in my life, both here and in Rwanda. When I told Pastor Al that I felt God was calling me to go into the prisons of Rwanda, he challenged me to use that opportunity to preach a lesson along with my testimony. The first time I entered Cinda prison was with Jesus and Pastor Elise. And when I heard them lock the metal doors behind us from the outside, I realized that I was standing there with 11,000 prisoners and they were all loose. And even though there were no guards inside with us, Courage from the Holy Spirit overrode any fear that I felt. As I stood there that day, I spoke to about 2,000 prisoners that had come to hear me speak. And I told them that I came that day to share with them how God had showered his mercy, grace, and unconditional love on a person who was a liar, a thief, and a murderer. And that person was me. I preached my first message that day 
and shared the story of my abuse. I told them that at the time, I did not feel like I could bring another child into that terror and violence, and that regardless of my circumstances, how I, too, had made the wrong choice when I murdered my husband's and my third child by having an abortion, and how the enemy had used the great shame and secrecy of it to put me in a prison of my own making. What I had buried and locked in my heart, the enemy had used to beat me up with for decades. But God wanted to heal my heart. And he has allowed me to watch him do something positive for the kingdom with absolutely all of it. Absolutely all of it. From that day to this, I've made 43 entrances into 13 different prison facilities. And the Holy Spirit has allowed me watch him add over 38,000 Rwandan souls to the Lamb's Book of Life. Everything God has called me to do, he has equipped me to do. And I have learned that all I need to do is trust him and say yes, and he will do all the rest. I know that I know that I know that I can trust him in every joyous circumstance as well as every difficult one, and especially with the circumstances that he chooses not to show me a reason for. God not only saved me and set me free, he brought me to a place where I could forgive myself. And when I look back at the journey that he had to take me on so that he could heal my heart and use me, I am in such awe that he would love me so much. Thank you, each one of you, for your partnership in prayer and financial gifts as your partnership enables IRM to do the ministry in Rwanda that God has called me to do there. Tonight, would you consider supporting me and this team with an additional financial gift? Thank you. I've had, I've had the privilege of watching Arlene and listening as she shared her testimony to thousands of prisoners. And um, here's a lady who knows that her Redeemer lives, that God takes broken lives and is able to take those vessels that are broken and pour out a, a, an amazing fragrance. And, and the Holy Spirit and his anointing so, is so powerful in her life. And, uh, you know, you've got, you're coming up on three score and ten. I think God's given you that much and maybe some more. And I'm just so thankful for the fruit of your life and how you've allowed the Lord to do what he's done with you. And then to take that and see other people set free too. So thank you for sharing with us tonight. God bless you. Isn't it amazing what Jesus can do with a life that's surrendered 
wholly to Him. Tonight, we are concluding, this is almost sad in a way, we're concluding our study in the Gospel of John. And next week begins a new series in the book of Ephesians. Um, I do want to let you know that a little later in the service, we are going to give you an opportunity to support this trip to Rwanda. Again, we are leaving June, early, early uh, the first week in June, we're leaving. Arlene's leaving a little bit early to get things ready for us when we arrive. Kathy and I are going, and uh, Shelly Brown, and we're joining with a team of national leaders in Rwanda to enter another eight prisons at least, probably more. And uh, I do want to say also that uh, the Foursquare denomination, we've applied for a matching grant, so whatever comes in from this church body, we're hoping and should know within the next week whether they're going to help us as, as well financially. Like last year, we want to be able to, to take into these prisons at least a total of 5,000 Bibles, and we reached that goal and exceeded it last year. And so we're just praying and asking God for the ability to do that again. And again, when these prisoners receive a Bible, some have never had a Bible of their own ever. And uh, it's just an incredible experience to watch them receive God's Word, Old Testament and New, in their own language. And so we're looking forward to that, and we'll give you that opportunity later on in the, in the service. But tonight I want to conclude our study in the Gospel of John. And the title for this message is Jesus' last words. You know, when a person comes to the end of their life, they know that their life is about to end. I've always felt that their last words can be incredibly significant. Before Jesus ascended back to the Father, He had a few things He wanted to say to His disciples, and I believe those words are timeless. They apply to us today. And so our passage tonight is taken from John chapter 20, verses 21 through 22, where Jesus said, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's just pray and ask the Holy Spirit just to speak to our hearts through this message. Lord, again, we just turn our attention to you. We thank you, Lord, that your words are spirit and they are life. And I pray, God, that as we consider these words that you've recorded for all time for us to read here tonight, that you would speak a personal word to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I really don't know how it works with your relationship with the Lord, but I, in these past few weeks, have been thinking about mine. And there's been a pattern through most of my life as a Christian where I have had these occasions where God has spoken to me. And what I've noticed is that when God speaks to me, He uses few words, sometimes just a word, one word, or a brief sentence, and that he chooses these words very carefully. I've also noticed that as God will speak just a single word or a, a sentence to my heart, 
that I'm still trying to work out the meaning of it and understand it fully 30 years later. It's amazing how God's words, just a simple word, can take us a lifetime to, to plummet the depth of what it really truly means and the impact of it goes on and on and on. Jesus is meeting with his disciples after he's risen from the dead. He, he's, he's appeared to them over a course of 40 days. And before he ascended, he said this to them, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Ten words, one sentence. I wonder what the disciples thought at that moment when they heard Jesus say that. As the Father has sent me, I now send you. I'd like us just to look at the first part of this statement, this one sentence. I don't think we can understand the second part until we truly come to grips with what Jesus meant when he said, as the Father has sent me. So let's look at the first part of this sentence and try to understand the implications of how God sent Jesus. The first thing I think about is that God sent Jesus from heaven to earth. He sent him from heaven to earth. And when we think about that, think about the incredible glory and beauty of heaven. It's holiness, surrounded by the heavenly host. He left that holy, beautiful place to live in a corrupt world among sinful people. He left the comfort, peace, and fellowship of the heavenly host to live in an uncomfortable, inconvenient, inconvenient life among those who were rejected, tempted, and, and they would mock him eventually. Why would a person do that? Would we be really, seriously, would we be interested in leaving the comfort of our home and go sleep on the streets in downtown Portland on purpose. I, I really don't think that would be at the top of our list of things to do tomorrow. But listen to what Jesus is saying. He's, he was sent from heaven to earth, from this place of incredible perfection to a world that was totally unlike that. Not only that, he was born in a barn, came to live among us in human form, this omnipotent, omniscient God is now going to limit himself to the single, frail body. Imagine God choosing to become a baby and trusting his life to a homeless couple and growing up to face all of the tests and trials of life we face. He chose to do that. And then God sent Jesus to be heaven's ambassador. He left one kingdom to be immersed in another, to show the world who God truly is and what he is like. In John chapter 12, verse 45, Jesus said, he who sees me sees him who sent me. People in this world have all sorts of distorted images of who God is. Jesus came in human form to show us what God is really like. A God of love and mercy and forgiveness and kindness and grace. What an amazing step he took from heaven to this earth. 
as the Father has sent me. It doesn't stop there. God also sent Jesus to sacrifice his life for us. It was one thing to come live in this world among us like one of us. But then God says, all right, when you get there, your mission is to die. In Philippians 2, 5 through 8, it says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. As the Father has sent me. You would think that if God was to come to earth, that at least he could claim some sort of rights or privileges. But he refused to claim those rights. He didn't have a spirit of entitlement. It says that I deserve to live in a nice house or be born in wealthy circumstances. It doesn't say that about him at all. He humbled himself. And then it says that he made himself of no reputation. He had no title, no royal official title. He was just the carpenter's son. Can anything good come from Nazareth? That backwater of northern Galilee? The uneducated people? I think Jesus was very deliberate about not having some royal official title. He didn't have some position in the Sanhedrin or in the government. He was a total unknown. And I think the reason was is that we're always uncomfortable around people who have titles, people who have a reputation. We end up feeling a little bit small in their presence. But Jesus said, I, I'm going to take the position of a slave, of a servant. No title, no official recognition. That way anybody can feel comfortable in my presence, even a little child. Isn't that amazing? He didn't come to be served. Jesus said, I came to serve. He washed the feet of his disciples, even Judas who betrayed him. And he befriended publicans, sinners, and the outcasts of society. He came knowing ahead of time beforehand that he would be betrayed and abandoned by his friends, falsely accused, and suffer injustice and die on a cross so we could be saved. He knew all this way beforehand. As you go through the gospel accounts, you'll notice that Jesus is constantly telling his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. I'll be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles, and they will put the Son of Man to death. He knew that. I've come to lay my life down for the sake of others. I want to challenge you, if you're interested in a, doing an interesting Bible study, go through the book of John and, and notice every single time John uses the word sent. Jesus uses it over and over and over again. Speaking of the Father has sent me. The Father has sent me. 
The Father who sent me, I only say the things I hear him saying. I only do the things I see him doing. He came to do the Father's will. John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. As the Father has sent me. God the Father sent Jesus to sacrifice his life. He sent him from heaven to earth, a place of privilege and glory and beauty to this corrupt, fallen, depraved world. In John 6, 38 and 40, Jesus says this, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus understood that he was on a mission, that God sent him to accomplish something, to be something, to be heaven's ambassador in this world. And then Jesus did this when he got here. Thirdly, God sent Jesus to tell us the truth about life. I love this about the Lord. He wasn't afraid to tell it like it is. Jesus said things like this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. You know, in our culture, we really don't like to talk so much about the afterlife and what happens. I'm finding myself increasingly irritated when I hear people say, oh, they've gone on to a better place. And my first question is, how do you know that? Are you sure? But we've got this kind of rose, pair of rose-colored glasses, and we're looking at it, you know, and thinking, well, everybody gets to go to heaven. I'm sorry, that isn't the truth. The only people who go to heaven are the people who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and know their sins are forgiven, period. There is no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm sorry, that's the truth. In fact, I'm not sorry. That is just the truth. It's the way it is. Jesus was truthful. He told us the truth. There's a heaven, there's a hell. Narrow is the way to lead, that leads to life, but broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many are going that way. The narrow way, few find it. That's disturbing. Jesus said a lot of disturbing things. He said this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. In Matthew 7.21. So it's not just a glib profession that matters. It's are you living it? Whose will gets done? Jesus says, only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus warned us about death and hell, but he also explained how we might receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life in heaven if we would only believe on him. Jesus said this in John 5, 24, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life 
and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. I hope you've got that marked in your Bible. That is an incredible promise. Jesus is saying, this is how you find heaven. You won't be condemned. You won't be judged. What do I have to do? Believe. Jesus said this in Luke 19.10, God the Father sent Jesus to seek and to save the lost. As the Father has sent me. Something else Jesus did when he came. God sent Jesus to bring healing and hope. This is the part, I think, of his ministry that I think really captures our heart, isn't it? When we see him touch blind eyes and heal the deaf and deliver the demonized and cleanse the leper and raise the dead, we see all of these things and we think, oh, that is so wonderful. When Jesus began his ministry, the first thing he said in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19, he said, this is my assignment while I'm here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's what God sent me to do. After Jesus returned to heaven, the apostles received the Holy Spirit. They began the ministry, preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. Later, Peter, through an angelic visitation, was summoned to a Gentile's house. His name was Cornelius, a Roman centurion. And when he began to explain to this man who Jesus was, this is what he said in Acts chapter 10. He said, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. What a great description, what a great summary of his mission. As the Father has sent me, I'm sure there's a lot more that we could say about how God sent Jesus. Not only to preach a message of hope and healing, not only to sacrifice his life and die, to tell us the truth about life and death and to leave the glory and beauty of heaven to come and live among us. There's much more that we can possibly say, I'm sure, about his being sent but then I wonder what the disciples thought next when Jesus then turned to them and said, so I also send you. They'd witnessed it all. They'd seen it. They watched what Jesus did. And now he's saying, your turn. You get to do just what you saw me do. In Matthew 28, 19 through, uh, before I get to that, let me just read this. I need to make sure we get this because there, there is something I'm aware of 
is that when we read this passage, as the Father has sent me, so send I you, when we read this passage, it's appealing for us to think that mm, this just applied to the apostles. These are the only guys that had to go out and do what Jesus did. But I think we'd be wrong if we reached that conclusion. These final words of Jesus are timeless and they apply to everyone who claims the title Christian. Jesus' last words are also found in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, And lo, I am with you always, here's the important part, even to the end of the age. The command to go and preach is timeless. There's no expiration date. It's till the end of the age that I'm with you. And until the end of the age, we go and we preach and we make disciples and baptize. As the Father has sent me, so I am also sending you. When we become a Christian, there are several things that are true about us that weren't true before. You can write these down in your notes in the bulletin, but these are important facts about you which qualify you to do what Jesus commanded us to do. The first thing is that you're forgiven of all your sins. Past, present, future, all of our iniquities were laid on Jesus. We've been saved from hell. Heaven is now your destination, your home, your gift from God as a response to your faith. We receive the gift of eternal life with God. We get to spend eternity with Him in heaven. Fourthly, we're born again and we are changed from the inside out. This is something I think many of us as Christians don't fully grasp is the magnitude of what happens when we become a Christian. God gives us a new nature, a new spirit. We are no longer people who are objects of God's wrath, but we are now children, beloved children of God. He no longer considers us sinners. We are now saints, holy ones, holy, acceptable, and blameless in His sight. I know we look at ourselves and probably don't see ourselves that way. Sorry, it's how God sees you. That's the truth. And it's not because of how good or how bad you've been, it's because of how good Jesus was. And all of his righteousness has been credited to your account, and all of your badness was given to him in exchange. What a deal. What does it cost? It's a free gift we receive by faith. That's just amazing. You mean God really loves me? Yep. I'm acceptable and holy and blameless in His sight? Yes. I'm forgiven of all my sins? Yes. Forever? Yes. Galatians 2.20. The Bible says that I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ now lives in you. His Spirit is now in you. That's why we can continue to do what Jesus did. 
There's a few other things that are no less true for us, things we don't often consider when it comes to how we choose to live our lives each day. Another thing that's true about you is that you've been redeemed. You've been bought with a price. That forgiveness, that gift of eternal life, it costs somebody something. It costs Jesus his life. According to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, he says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own? You were bought at a price. And what a price it was. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So, guess what? You're under new management. The title deed to your life got signed over to God. He now owns you. But you know what's amazing about him is he doesn't demand your service. He invites you to participate in his ministry and his mission. It's an open offer. It's an open opportunity to anybody who wants to glorify God with their life. So, really, if you get right down to it, it means that we have no rights any more than Jesus did. He laid aside all of his rights. We don't really have any either. He's inviting us to voluntarily become a living sacrifice. Not to do our own will anymore, but the will of him who has now sent us into the world. And here's the last thing I want to mention about who we are you are now heaven's ambassadors as well. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this, We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you, we beg you on Christ's behalf now, be reconciled to God. As the Father has sent me, so now I also send you. That means that just as Jesus was the light of the world, you're now the light of the world. And God says, will you please not hide it under a bushel somewhere? Let it be on a hill where everybody can see it. Jesus also said, would you please pick up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. I'm walking, I carried my cross. Will you just follow me? Just follow me. You can't be my disciple unless you follow me. That means you have to carry a cross too. You're hint, you're, you're, you are all sent, every one of us here is sent to heal the sick, bless our enemies, sacrifice, give, serve others, and preach the gospel of the kingdom. And if necessary, use words. Your life is a living letter. People see Jesus in you. The Bible says that the fragrance, the aroma of Christ exudes from us when we're walking in the Spirit. I want to say that these last words of Jesus aren't optional. It's not kind of a take it and leave it well, I think I'll, I'll consider it. Now listen, you've been bought with a price. We belong to God. And He's inviting us into an exciting journey. I think Arlene's been on a pretty exciting journey. She just simply said, yes, Lord. That's all it takes, by the way, is just saying yes and keep saying yes. Be careful if you ever say no.
Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He also said that many are called, but few are chosen. Let me give you a secret. The way you become chosen is by answering the call. He's calling all of us. In fact, you're hearing it tonight. You're hearing God's call tonight. Well, how do I answer? Just say yes. Whatever that means, Lord, yes. I offer myself to you. Use me. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. If I left this message there, all of us would feel a little overwhelmed with the assignment. But let's not forget the last thing Jesus said, and this is profound. After he had said this, you remember what it says? That after he had said this, he breathed on the disciples. <sighs> Received the Holy Spirit. I like that. Do you know that's the, that's the second time in the Bible where God breathed on anybody? The first time is in, in Genesis chapter 2. He fashioned Adam, and then it says what? He breathed into him, and he became a living being. Isn't that amazing? These people were, life was, the spirit was being breathed into these disciples. He says, now you're ready to go. And that was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and what was the first thing they did? Preach the gospel. 3,000 came to Christ on the day of Pentecost. I am so glad that God doesn't send us without equipping us. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. The gospel hasn't reached the end of the earth. There are still places that there are people who haven't heard who Jesus is. They don't know how to escape death. I'm amazed that God is sending someone like Arlene into a prison full of murderers who participated in the genocide, thousands of them. Someone like her, no disrespect. But if God could send someone like Arlene, what about us? I want to close with this. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah had a vision. God gave him this vision, and he, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw the train of his robe filling the temple, and it was glorious, this vision. And then he heard these words from the throne. God spoke and said this, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? What an amazing question God is asking. And he's saying, and, and Isaiah is hearing, I have a message that I need to get to these people in Jerusalem and Judea and all this land. They're about to be destroyed by the Babylonians. Who's going to get the message out? God's asking that kind of question. And what it tells me, he's looking for human volunteers who will answer the question. And Isaiah, in this moment, Seeing the glory of God and hearing the question said this, here am I, send me. 
My hope and my prayer for all of us here tonight is that we would answer the question the same way. Here am I. Send me. Before this service, the Lord spoke something very clear to me. And, he's, and he wants me to tell you this about this passage is because we can, we can hear this whole thing and think, well, I really don't feel like I should go to Rwanda or some foreign mission field. Listen, this is what he wants us to know. Isaiah was sent to his own people. God did not send him to a foreign nation. He sent him to the people he lived with. And so here's the thing. Your mission field is wherever you are. You don't have to go far away. You're an ambassador where you are. That's where you're sent. You're going to talk to people I will never see or know. They are the people who need to hear this message through your life and through your testimony. So don't make this as something that only the real spiritual or the people who have, you know, that aren't encumbered with life and mortgages and kids and all the rest. No, this is anybody wherever you are. And this is all that God's looking for, is for us simply to say, here am I, send me. And then, hang on. You're in for the ride of your life. And it is an exciting one. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have invited us into a partnership with you. That you are asking this question. You know that there's a need for people to hear the truth. And you're looking for volunteers. You're looking for ambassadors. Lord, I pray tonight that each heart here would say yes to you. That we could say truthfully, Lord, here am I. Send me. Before I finish praying, I just want to make sure that we give anyone here an opportunity who doesn't know Jesus. You've never received Christ as your Savior. If you know after hearing this message, you need to receive Christ for yourself. You need His forgiveness of sins. I'm going to ask you with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you just lift your hand right where you are, I want to make sure to give you that opportunity tonight. If you need to receive Jesus tonight, I just want to pray for you and lead you in a prayer of salvation and commitment. This is so important. Just slip up your hand so I can see you if that's you tonight. You don't know Jesus, but you want to receive him tonight. Thank you, Lord. God, I thank you for the things that you've spoken to my heart tonight, the challenge that you've given me this week. And Lord, I know that each of us have busy lives, but I pray that we would be kingdom-focused, that our life would be not my will, but your will be done. Lord, I pray that we would use our time, our treasure, our gifts, all of the things that you've given to us as a stewardship, Lord, that you would entrust that to, you've entrusted that to us. Lord, help us each day to say, Lord, what would you have me to do today? I thank you, God, that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you equip us to have a simple word that needs to be shared at the right time with someone who needs a word of encouragement or just a prayer. Thank you that we all have a testimony, something that we can share 
with those who need hope and healing in their lives. So I thank you for this word tonight, Lord. I thank you for the challenge you've given us. In Jesus' name. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.